This is Melancholy Geek, episode 17, Take Control of Your Demons. Welcome to Melancholy Geek, where you get the thoughts and opinions with a, well, a geek and sometimes more than one geek with depression or well, in my case, depression, sometimes other things. Uh, my name is Preston. Today, my intention was to go to the was to kind of go into tomorrow. That didn't work out. If you think about it, you'll understand. Uh, but I am in the future. The future is nigh, or now, or whatever. Anyway, um, I've invited and brought someone who essentially grew up around where I was born and grew up and somehow ended up in the UK, which maybe we'll find out why. Sure, that could be fun. Um, she's a creative individual, that much I remember. Who knows what she's doing now? Uh, a writer, as I found with a random poem of hers. Because why not? Hello, Sarah. <laughs> Hello, Preston. So, sauna like weather in London or wherever you are? Um, I, I am. Okay, I'm about an hour outside of London, um, but yes, it's really, really hot today. Um, the sun is ho oh, oh. So yeah, I'm glad to be inside at the minute. <laughs> it sounds sad to be hiding from the sun, but sometimes you kind of need to. Well, when you're unexpectedly the uh, temperature increases where you call it a sauna, then yeah, hiding is not really a bad idea. No, I know. I'm essentially nocturnal. I, I don't go into the sun unless I have to. Mm. No, I, I can be a little overwhelming. I, I understand that. It's the years of working overnight shifts, I blame. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Because, mm. I don't know, it was quieter. Mm. Uh, so, um, you also have the joy and I was going to say privilege. That would have been a bit much uh, <laughs> of having uh, having depression and through your life. Mm. Um, yeah. How long have you actually officially known that you've had this? Well, I think it's always been a struggle for me to call it that. Um, and, and that sort of thing, because I guess I was raised as such a, you know, I had a, a really, a fairly pleasant childhood, you know, my, like, I stable home life and that sort of thing. So, and I was always a fairly happy-go-lucky individual. So saying that you have depression or some form of it, or that comes in and out of your life and that sort of thing, as someone who identifies, like, people come up to me and they meet me, my friends and stuff like that. I've always said, oh, Sarah, you're so happy and you're so positive and stuff like that. And I think that um, actually saying that, you know, I've admitting to myself has been one of the hardest things to do. Um, but it's been, I think I've struggled with it beginning from probably after high school, which is a really interesting sort of time. Sure. Um because uh, you hear a lot about, and I've certainly talked to friends and stuff who struggled through those years. The teenagers are really, really tough. 
And not to say that I didn't struggle with my own things during that time, but I think after that um, was a darker sort of time for me, um, trying to figure out how to deal with those things and how to how the changes in my life affected me in that way. And I think that just made it worse. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was one of the people that had it. Granted, not known to me at the time, but I'm um, pretty sure looking back that it was there during my high school years. Yeah. So, yeah, it's understandable. Yeah. So you think, looking back on it... Yeah. Um, bad or not do you think how like how early it actually was do you like do you think it was something that was there that you can see when looking back in your childhood in high mm. school even though it didn't affect you at that much at that time uh no well i would say i would say that it it wasn't it wasn't something that was always with me i think there are people that, that you know have struggled with it for longer and from an earlier age, and didn't didn't know how to identify it and that sort of thing. Um, but for me, it was um, for me it was more a kind of marked point uh, where I feel like I transitioned into a time that was that was harder for me in on the inside. You know what I mean? Like as as a young person growing up through school. Yes, I had, you know, everyone has their moments and their ups and downs and that yeah. sort of thing, but I don't I don't feel like I grew up that way as such. Um it was more a defined point um after I left high school and leaving home and that sort of thing and I think it's certain things like that sort of triggered it in me mm-hmm. rather than rather than it being <clears throat> um rather than being an identifiable thing through my life. Um, but, I, you know, I've had conversations with about it with, with other people, with therapists and with friends and stuff like that, about how your external circumstances and the uncertainty of them can kind of trigger different things and, and that sort of thing. And that's more sort of my brand of struggle with it. Because I think mine is, it's it's very much mixed with, high anxiety as well sure uh yeah and and that that can be such a problem because i it it makes you go from you know a very significant low at sometimes to um to a high to a you know this feeling this kind of low buzz of anxiety where you're trying to get through it and it's very very difficult it makes everything feel like it's in slow motion or something like that i'm kind of getting into physical things but at the same time that's that's what it feels like to me yeah you know so yeah no i don't know if that answers your question but (laughs) no it does it does because it's Mm. it's one of those things where some people can look back and see that, yeah, that was definitely something that was there, like myself. Whereas mm. others, it happens later on. Yeah. I to run into a, a, a friend of mine yesterday and uh, invited her for come on sometime later because she's running through some anxiety issues that didn't happen originally. They came on recently. So, yeah. That's part of the question. Um, mm. 
No, you have probably a good perspective on the the differences from being here in Newfoundland, Canada, uh, yeah. for being in the UK now for the last couple of years. I'm not sure how many, probably four or five at least, if not longer. Uh, how is your, we'll start with how has the support been from family and friends and then maybe how it differs from being here to being there? Um, oh, that's a good question. And actually it is, it is a, it's definitely a journey, um, that I went on and how I, how I feel or I felt at home compared to how I feel now. Um, after, as you say, four or five years, I'm almost at the five year mark now. Um, so at home, I think while I have an excellent, excellent family, I love them and they're really supportive and really lovely and everything like that. Um, I find that sometimes, particularly with my anxiety spikes, sometimes when your family and friends have this picture of you in their heads and it creates a picture of you in your head, you know what I mean? That you are, you are this person, you are like, that's the way you are. And I think that level of expectation that I grew to have of myself over the, over the, you know, 20, I was 28 when I left Newfoundland and over that, that period of my life, um, particularly in my twenties and that sort of thing started to the, my expectation of myself and also the, the expectations of the people around me became very big in my mind. And so no one really, I, I don't think that anyone really knew that. And at the time, I don't know that I would have expressed it that way. You know what I mean? I just knew this feeling wasn't, it wasn't good. And no matter, no matter how, like what direction I went in or what kind of support I had from family and friends or, you know, what kind of work I was doing, I still felt this kind of underlying, like, I don't feel right. Like my expectations of myself are just too big and I want to be this and that and the other, and I can't seem to get there. And, and so it was a, it was a mix of, um, not knowing what kind of, what kind of support I really needed, but also being kind of stuck in a, a bad pattern, you know? Um, and so I, I got to a point where, and this is kind of tied into how I ended up here in the first place. Um, I got to a point one Christmas, what was it? Christmas 2012. It was when I got so fed up because I felt like my life wasn't really getting anywhere and it was really getting to me on top of, you know, on top of any underlying stuff that was going on. It, it just my external circumstances were just really not good and no matter how no matter how much I kind of tried to visualize and move forward and kind of you know like everybody's like oh you know just try harder and that sort of thing it just pushed through it and that sort of thing you're just like no this is not gonna work <laughs> like push it sometimes you can push through sure. but this this was not a situation where I felt like I was gonna get anywhere like, I couldn't see the other side. And I think so often when you struggle with, um, when you struggle with a mental health issue of some sort, it is the vision 
or lack thereof, or you just kind of, you feel like you are stuck in a path and you can't get out of it. It's like you almost can't open up your mind to other possibilities some days. And that was what it felt like for me. I was stuck. And so Christmas 2012, I said to my father in frustration, I was like, Dad, you know what I would do right now if I had the money? And he said, what would you do? <laughs> I said, I'd move to New Zealand. <laughs> and, and, like, and that was, like, the reason I said New Zealand, of course, was because it was the farthest way I could possibly think. Like, it probably that was, is, too. They're like, yeah, like, physically on the planet, it was the furthest way that I could possibly go and in my head. And so I was like, I, you know, I really just need to get so far away from how I feel right now, you know, and that sort of thing. And, and because I didn't, I couldn't see a way to change my circumstances. And so the only way that I could see to do that was actually to leave them. Um, and, and that was, that was a pretty big deal. I mean, I've always kind of wanted to, you know, travel and see the world and everything like that. But that was a moment for me that was just like, I can't, I can't see any other way. It was just sort of, it was hilarious because we laughed about it. But at the same time, for me to get to that point, it was just like, I need to run away, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. So, and the experience of leaving and going through the first few months when I got here. Literally, like, I left, I took my suitcase, I had, you know, a few thousand dollars Canadian in my bank account, and I didn't have a job, I didn't have a place to live, I just left. Like, and people say to me, like, when I tell the story all the time, they're like, wow, that's really brave. And I'm like, yeah, it was brave, but it was also kind of desperate. <laughs> like... There was a level of desperation there that I rarely talk about. Um, Sometimes desperation brings that out in people. Yeah, it's it's really weird because you you do you reach a point where you're desperate to make a change or to to feel better or to feel different even, sure. you know, uh, and that sort of thing. So that's how it manifested itself for me, and. Uh, that was a that was a pretty pretty big deal and but when i got when i got here and i started kind of trying to make a life which is not easy to do when you're by yourself no, I uh because hard it was a mix hard enough when you're not by yourself hard enough when you've got you know the the support and that sort of thing but i i managed to get a place to live in london um, and start kind of doing some temp work and stuff like that. Um, but it wasn't really near enough to support myself properly in London because London is one of the most expensive cities in the world. So, yeah. you know, uh, but, um, it was, that was a really hard few months. Uh, I was in London five months with very little money. And nobody that I really knew close by at all. And so I was by myself. And that was, that was really, really tough. And I spent a lot of time by myself wondering if I'd made the right decision and feeling pretty 
I don't know, low. That was a hard, hard time. And a lot of, you know, ghosts that I kind of thought I'd put behind me in a way started to come back and I'd have to, you know, I'd have to deal with that and I have to deal with it on my own. Now, the upshot of that was that I did deal with them. You know, like, I had done something that was <laughs> brave or stupid, <laughs> you know, and moved. Um, but, and it it was difficult. But, you know, they say that some of those things that you do out of desperation, as you rightly point out, sometimes desperation does that to you. Um, and the things that come out of that, while they're difficult, and this is definitely difficult, because I was dealing with so many internal struggles, mm -hmm. as well as the external struggles at that point, um, I made it through. Now, I almost went home. I almost gave up. And uh, fate threw me a little bit of a curveball. And I ended up with a job that took me out of London. And I think the uh, that particular thing was the beginning of me climbing back out of that. Uh, but that was about a, about, about a year that I was, at times, you know, well, I suppose the... Huh. Like thinking about it, trying to characterize what that what that felt like. Um, but there are moments when you're so kind of sad and overwhelmed and not sure and all that kind of thing, and you can't see a way forward, like I was talking about, and you don't know because you're in different circumstances, and you just on your hands and knees and you're just like, this is, wow. <laughs> I did not expect this, you know? Um, and that sort of level of feeling so low, it's a mixture of sadness and regret and kind of overwhelming physical feelings of exhaustion and all that kind of stuff that goes with it. And it's just like, I think about that time, it was, it was so hard but it, it also instructed how I you know how I go forward as well um, and I think about that time as a very humbling time now you know I'm in awe of, of what 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 that darkness taught me and what dealing with that and the uh, the fact that I can look back on it now and say that I did deal with it and I did make it through that that to me is a very empowering kind of strengthening sort of thought that I could deal with that level of being so low and yet come out of it that much stronger. So it's intense. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. Like I said, you never listen to the January episode. Don't talk. Trust me. The intense is <laughs> so it's fine. Um, in a similar sense, when it comes to direct support. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of talk about um, how society and our our 
appropriate word, appropriate word. Like I just our mm. our systems that are set up are are uh, uh, yes. you know in hospitalization yeah, yeah. and the the doctors and everybody that's set up to support these yeah. kinds of issues. Um, I don't know if you've taken advantage of that. If so, or if you've taken the time to learn about it, do you think that yeah. there's much difference in how that is handled? for Canada and Newfoundland compared to the UK? Um, I think that the the support systems here that are through the like National Health Service, the NHS, um, do seem to be publicized a bit more. Um, that's probably as a, probably partly as a function of the fact that it's such well, we have such a bigger population over here and it's all everything is so close to you know there's there's that kind of it's a denser that sort of thing um there's certainly quite a lot of conversation about that sort of thing here um i was able to i did avail of some um uh some national health service services um actually within the past year or so year and a half um, that I found really good. Um, I think that from my perspective and, and my experience with it, it has actually been really good. Um, and the people that I've encountered have been really good. I think everybody has a different experience. Um, but in Canada, I think... To me, it seems like the, the support that's available um, differs, obviously, in different, as we say, population areas and that sort of thing. Smaller areas are not going to have the same supports. Um, I think that slowly developing into a system that seems to be a little bit more aware of the complexities that are involved, slowly but shortly, I think it's I think it's taken a while. I mean, what do you what do you think have in your experience of those services? Do you think there's more work to be done, uh, you know? Well, I, I there there'll probably always be more work to be done, regretfully. Yeah. Um my first experience with it was actually very bad. Um, oh, really? Well, so my first experience was in at the Waterford. Uh, I yeah. know if I've talked about this on, on here before, but I was on a pretty low time, um, suicidal tendency, the whole nine yards, and told someone, yeah. and they were nice enough to take it seriously. Uh, and then, so they, um, the RCMP found me, talked to me, brought me to the hospital, had a conversation, recommended that I go to out here to Waterford and, uh, you know, look into dealing with stuff. The problem as uh, that occurred, uh, even though I was in a bad time, anything that was going on, I would still take the time to try to understand. So they put me on Paxil, I want to say. Yeah. And, and as any of these medications indicate, I'm pretty sure everyone that I've actually looked into, it takes time before it actually will take any significant effect. Yeah. However, within... Um, about a week and a half not even that they put me on mm. something else without, without any discussion about it mm. like no discussion or anything and mm. that affected my my demeanor my mood my whole outlook and and how i appear to 
people mm. dramatically, like almost zombie-like. And then my mother seen it, and she did not like that at all. So we uh, we bailed out of that. And, and like it was hard for me to to look at it at the time and see it because I was enveloped in it. But looking yeah. back to see that, you know, this psychologist or psychiatrist who's supposed to be managing these groups of people and supposed to be a professional on this stuff would just like, okay, I'm not seeing anything significant happen here, so I'm gonna throw another medication on it when it's not supposed to be really taking effect for another week and a half. So that kind of pushed yeah. me off, right? Yeah. Um, but there are still there's still concerns that I've I've seen. Overall, there's some good stuff. I like there was one program that I got into where I was talking, you know, had some therapy sessions for a number of time, um, which I don't know if it helped me or not, but I gave it a shot because why not? Uh, and that actually went pretty well on how it was managed and, and whatnot, but. Uh, I don't know. Some stuff still seems to be tough to get into. Is the hardest thing. There's some people that are waiting for um, psychiatrists and psychologists for too long. Way yeah. Too long. And yeah, yeah, yeah. The problem is, I'm not sure that's necessarily an issue with the system so much as the lack of people. The the lack <laughs> the, la the lack of actual high. yeah the ratio is too high. So. Um, I I I tend to agree with you there. I think I think that there's there's a lot going on and it is um there's a lot of complexity to it and there's not really enough, you know, really specialist support there for everybody. I think there needs to be uh needs to be more of that. And I think there also needs to be a, a wider level of you know, treatment options and how these things are discussed, as you say, you know, um, uh, for some people, for some people, medication is the way to go. I, I know friends that have had, you know, that have had really good success stories with medication and they've had the right professionals dealing with it. Um, for other people, um, it's manageable, you know, what, what they're dealing with is manageable through other means. Um, I, particularly um I'm a big believer myself um because it has helped me in um sort of dietary management sure. and how your how your diet relates to your mood and and how what you put in your system on a daily basis um can help you manage a lot you know, it's not it's not necessarily going to manage everything, but dietary management um, has been a big big thing for me. And I don't think there's enough conversation around that either. Um, I saw actually, interestingly, I saw um, an article recently about California and how California is the first state in the United States to actually prescribe food as medication. Um, Officially. And, uh, yeah. yeah, and it's probably happened before, but it's just not something that's been widespread enough to say, okay, I'm going to write you a script for it. Yeah, um, exactly. And, it's like, it, and it's... recognize it. Yeah, uh, yeah. But really, realistically, it makes sense considering how much of our medication originate from some sort of vegetation or, you know, animal or plant life, you know. So it's not yeah. really that unrealistic. 
No, no, not, not at all. I mean, I think that for my anxiety, for instance, um, I used to be, well, I still am a coffee drinker, very much a coffee drinker. Um, but my anxiety level goes through the roof if I've had too much coffee. Like, yeah. I think like I think the world is going to end if I've had too much coffee. <laughs> like, and, and, and uh, that's a bit of hyperbole now, mind you. But, it, like, really, though... You, you, I really feel it in my system, you know. So I think that depending on what you've got going on, um, and every, everybody's different, but I think it's, it's something that needs to be a little talked about a little bit more. But it, you know, everybody's, everybody's got their own way of managing it and their own way of. I was thinking about as I was walking back here, um, getting ready to talk to you, I was thinking about, you know. Um, things I might, you know, have in my mind and that sort of thing. One of the things was that everyone's capable of different things at different times, yeah. you know, depending on where they are in their struggle and what they are struggling with and whether they've identified that they're struggling with the right thing, you know, um, and everyone's got steps to go through. So the systems, you know, where you are might not even be, you know, far enough along to be able to really identify what's going on with you. And it might take some time. Um, And not everybody is, you know, when you're struggling with some kind of depression or mental illness of some description, um, and if it's mixed with a physical illness of some sort as well, which happens, you know, you get a a lot of what's called a comorbid diagnosis of these things. Um, when when you've got a mix of that going on, trying to identify how to manage it all in one way is very difficult. And the systems need to, I think, both on both sides of the Atlantic, need to be patient enough and be kind of more approachable in the way of, you know, people are complex, right? And, no, <laughs> you know... That's a very true point. Um, mm. This kind of reminds me of um, something I also talked about on my Bell Let's Talk episode in January. But um, did you know Victoria Best? I didn't know her personally. Um, I know a lot of people who did, though, um, yeah. and who knew her very well and were touched by her life. Yeah, I, I dug into that as part of that discussion for myself and to to still push her story even further because that's essentially what happened is she took took the time to do what most people probably would is to say i yes. have a problem i need help and then she yeah. couldn't get it and that, yeah that that's a big thing so like the system has to be understanding but but still be able to take things serious and sometimes immediate not just okay i'm gonna get yeah. your appointment for tomorrow or, or whatnot yeah, yeah. It really, I think, I think that it, it's that's a good point. And and Victoria is, you know, when I when I read about all of that, what had happened, and and then I dug into her story a bit because her Facebook posts were there and they were making their way around, and so many people, as I say, that I know knew her and had some experience with her or were friends with her, or whatever. And she's another example of someone who outwardly seemed very much you know she was involved and she was social and she was all that kind of stuff 
and yet she was still struggling with these things, which people still, the general public, I think, struggles with to seeing somebody who is kind of happy and able to manage things and, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, she did so much in this short time she was here, um, and yet she had such a struggle. So when when you have that outward face of happiness or ability to manage yourself or ability to manage other things and then you go in to someone and say I have a problem I've experienced that you know and they look at you and you're they're like you're put together you look fine you know like like that sort of thing you're you're intelligent and you're coming up to me and you're speaking well and you're you know you're not in the middle of having a visible breakdown you know that sort of thing and and so people still, and I think that's a human nature thing, rather than I, I don't think it's a I don't think it's necessarily, you know, to Newfoundland or Canada or the UK or anything like that. I think that's a human nature thing. If it's not, if you don't look like really visibly distressed, people find it hard to believe that you really are distressed. <laughs> well, it's Just, it's it's something that I'm seeming to discover is much more common is to and this is the terminology i've always used is to have that mask of being content or or somewhat you know not feeling horrible all the time or whatnot because like i put on most days i feel like crap mm. the last thing that that needs is a hundred questions from people at work saying What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Ab- absolutely. Right? <laughs> you don't want that on repeat. Like, nobody yeah, wants no. that. Like, I can't listen to my favorite song on repeat. Mm. I don't want to listen to something. <laughs> like exactly. So, it, and it, it's it's more common than than it really should be. But may, or not necessarily should be, but it should be part of the understanding of what people like myself, yourself, and Victoria went mm. through. Now, the thing about mm. And granted, she might not have been recognized, but the thing about what I read about Victoria is she was actually very open about that. Even though she wasn't yeah. visibly um, affected, she, yes. she was definitely open about those circumstances. And yeah. I think that's part also part of the reason why I pushed to, to put my own real hidden situation out there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's like I said, it, there's definitely room for improvement. Uh, I, yeah. And we may never get it right because we're, we're talking about the human brain, which is the most complex thing in in our bodies when it comes to how it works. Absolutely. I, I think that, um, you know, it's one thing to it's one thing to say, OK, we're going to we're going to support that sort of thing. We want to help people who are struggling, that sort of thing. There's lots of that going on. And, yeah. and, and there's certainly lots of like you know, PR about it. You see articles about it on social media all the time. Like everyone wants to support people who are struggling and da 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 da. And there seems to be that flood of that sort of thing right now. Um, and a part of it has come from a high level of awareness of, you know, mental health issues, depression, anxiety, PTSD, like that sort of thing. There's more awareness of it now and there's more of a conversation about it. And I, I, I think that that's a good thing. But I also think that people are not yet at the point, and even specialists and, 
you know, not, I'm not saying all specialists are like this, but, you know, even, even some specialists, when you come to them with a problem are not kind of receptive enough to, to, to really, you know, to really initially go, okay, yes, if you've identified that you have a problem, I'm going to listen to you. You know, there's still, there's still that kind of stigma or that, that mental blocker that people have that, that makes them, you know, not really listen first off. And, and that is, is very difficult for someone who struggles and who, you know, who has gotten to the point where they would ask for help, much like Victoria did. Um, and, you know, you did, and, and I have, um, and many, you know, with us and before us and will come after us. And to be met with any hesitation at that point, you know, like, it, it's it's so almost... It feels you feel crestfallen in a way. I guess that's the best way to yeah. to put it because you're like, I've gotten to this point where I have, you know, I've gotten that far, and for someone not to listen to me, that is really difficult. So it's it's probably the same as yourself, or and I'm sure many others, but it it can be for me, I without question, it, it's hard to even get to the point of asking for help. Yeah. But then to, yeah. granted, not always intentionally, but essentially the, the result is you don't need help or yeah. you don't look like you need help, you know, basically not taken seriously. Um, yeah. Just quickly in my mind, I attest that to me climbing a mountain and then someone kicking me back down. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Right? That's exactly what it feels like. like. That, that, that trip was hard enough to put the go back down that quickly. It was so I much worse. I know. So yeah, it's yeah. yeah, it's one of those things. I think I just had a thought, like, and it might be part of the reason why the it's become more media friendly, not necessarily yeah. stereo to the point of being understood. Is when you have uh, situations where uh, probably the most recent one that I can think of is when Robin Williams passed. Uh, Robin Williams passed away, and all of that yeah. came out. You know, his circumstances yeah. came out. Uh, so that put that out there because Robin Williams was beloved uh, for many reasons. Um, yeah. And there are other people coming out that are in the spotlight and, and basically, you know, being honest about it, which helps. Um, and it, and it, it comes down again to like people you would never think. Like um, Dwayne Johnson came out, died, I don't know when, but it mentioned it on Twitter or Facebook posts and, and stated he's gone through his own trouble. Right? Yeah. This guy's like on top of the world. Like, I know, you, yeah. Like, you, you look, look at him, you're like... You're, unless you're him or someone close to him, you, yeah. he's on top of the world. Yeah. Right? But yeah. Uh, that's just not the way it works all the time. Well, I and think that's the hardest that, thing to um, get through to people. Totally. And I, th- I think that people like that who, ha- who are in a position of, say, leadership... You know what I mean? They're, they're in, in some ways, like I look at, say, Dwayne is an excellent example because you're looking at him and going, there's definitely nothing outwardly wrong with him. Yeah. <laughs> like, He's like, I he don't is... want a family. I just have a new uh, d- d- uh, baby. And, you know, the world's great. I make a million. The world so is great. And, right? yeah, and he's, like, physically fit and, yeah, you know, like that, that sort of thing. And you're just like, like, all of the outward. And that's that's the thing, like, that's that can be really deceptive about someone struggling in here. 
yeah. or you know as a mix you know mix of those things it's it's very difficult um but i think that when people like that speak out or something happens that triggers more conversation about it that's really good because you can you have those moments where you're like that person struggles too and so i'm not alone yeah. you know you have that moment where you're like actually um if that person who looks like they have everything together also struggled, then it's it, it almost lightens the load, even if it's just temporarily, even if it's just for a moment. You're just like, you know, okay. Oh, like I, I do remember I, talking about Dwayne Johnson. I remember seeing that post and, and, and him talking about it and stuff like that. And I'm just like, actually, I mean, he's a man and he's, you know, came from a whole different, you know, set of circumstances to me and, and that sort of thing. Not to genderize it or anything, but, you know, like, we're very different, different. Yeah, is yeah. what I'm it's saying. Different we're very different people, different situations. And yet th- that even for me was like, you know, like it was kind of nice. And and I sent it, I sent that, um, the article, this specific one that I saw, I actually sent it to a few of the guys in my life. Because um, I know that I don't know I, I've I've seen men in my life struggle with that sort of thing and struggle with talking about it. Because the other thing is, of course, you know, women generally, socially, culturally, it's a little bit more acceptable for us to talk about our feelings still. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I do. So. Um, you know, when when we when we open up, or if we, you know, if we're crying, or if we're having a bit of a, you know, a bit of a moment, and it's outward, and you can see it, um, it's more acceptable, um, still. And I think there's, um, my personal opinion is that that's really detrimental in a lot of ways to both men and women and people of every description. Um, but Completely. that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> that was a good point, I think. No, it's it's a it's a perfect point. Mm. So on the when when the feelings get crappy, overwhelming, and and whatnot, what kind of things do you do to try to uh, take your mind off of them, or push them away, or deal with them, manage them? Well, that's a really good question, and this is the. Um, like I said, everybody's got a different different way of doing it. My, the last year of my life, last, well, year and a half, I would say, I guess, has been really tough. There's been some, um, some big change in my life and some family stuff that went on that was really tough for me and triggered a lot of stuff. And it also taught me, it forced me really to have to learn better coping mechanisms and how to manage those things. So I did a lot of reading. I figured, you know, first thing I should do is try to do some reading about this. And um, where's the book? Oh, God, is it out on my other? Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to. It's never where I need it to be. Um, <laughs> where's, where's my phone? Okay. So um, the first the first thing that I thought was, how am I, like, how am I going to do this? How do, how do, how do I do it? How do I get that? 
Um, so one of the things that I do is actually read. I've discovered that when I'm having a hard time, um, whether it's anxiety or feelings more tending toward depression and, and, you know, being low and sad and that sort of thing. Um, a book, because it's a quiet activity and because it's a focused activity, kind of takes my mind off it. Um, and I, I know that a lot of people I grew up with and also went to school with both, you know, school and university sort of level, uh, where, because I did English language literature, um, and theater as well, I, you know, I went to school with a lot of artsy people and also a lot of people who were very well read. And one of the things that I find about, um, about those people is it's, Reading sometimes, a lot of the time actually, is a way that they manage their mind um, and getting into stories or um, reading more about things so they know more about it. It's a great uh, anxiety management technique. If you, The more you know about something, the more you're able to kind of chill yourself out about it, you know. Like I read a lot about anxiety and depression and stuff like that and Yes, it was hard. It was difficult to read, um, difficult to kind of shine a mirror back at myself and go, yeah, I'm feeling some of that, or I have, or that sort of thing. But at the same time, I was learning about how to manage it, how to get over it, and how to, you know, get over that moment. I don't mean you can get over it in general, you know, that sort of thing. Like, it wasn't like, oh, this is going to fix you sort of stuff. Because I think it's unrealistic to say that you, there's any kind of you know, snap fix or anything like that. I don't think that's, you know, for me at least, it's not realistic. No, it, um, realistic you know, no, it's, you know, so it's, it's more about learning how to manage it. So reading is one. Um, I find that being in nature helps me um, because one, fresh air is always good, <laughs> always good. Um, and breathing as well. My mother, I laugh at my mother, but she's, she honestly, she, she knows. So one of my anxiety management techniques now that is one that she taught me and it's, she calls it square breathing. Um, and it's basically you, you breathe in for four seconds you hold for four seconds, you breathe out for four seconds, and you do nothing for four seconds. And so that breathing cycle, if you s just sit and literally do that, like, I don't know, I've, I've done it quite a lot, actually, just kind of doing that over and over again. It kind of gets you into this flow of simple breathing, and you're just focusing on your breathing. You're not focusing on anything else. And it draws you right out of, whatever thought pattern you're in, at least temporarily, you know, it's, it's, it's something that that's why I say it's a kind of anxiety management technique that I have because it brings you right out of it. Um, and it works. And, and sometimes when I'm having a moment, I'll message my mother and go, mom, Oh my God, you know, kind of do that thing. She's like square breathing, Sarah, square breathing. <laughs> and I laugh, but it works. No, it, it's, um, it seems to be, um, certainly seems to be something that comes up not just with that but like in stress situations like it, it's a whole app on my apple watch to just do breathing 
Just to breathing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just, it literally, it's like taps you to, you know, inhale, I think it is. And then, you know, let's go to, to exhale. Uh, yeah. Also with uh, one of my friends, when she texted me saying she has a moment and I just tell her to just breathe or occasionally I'll be like, as a certain Gavin Rousdale's always said, mm. random nineties, alternative music references. <laughs> there you go. Just cause you can. Cause I can. Absolutely. Because yeah. most people understand that before they do my Buffy references, because he then. Yeah, well, yes, fair enough, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> oh, no, it's awesome. Um, but uh, the other thing that I do want to mention that um, I found particularly helpful, I'm just going to find the title of this book now, because it was the first book that I read that really... It opened my eyes to a way of managing that, managing both my anxiety and my depression and uh, its interaction in my system. Uh, where is it? Oh my God, there we go. Here we go. Um, I knew I had an Instagram post about it, so I needed <laughs> to find it. Because <laughs> um, you know Instagram, I, why wouldn't you have a post? Because you know Instagram, that's the thing. Like, um, doesn't post on Instagram. Uh, um, I have this book that I saw and in the bookstore and I just was like, I have to have this book. It's called insanely gifted. Um, and it's, uh, the sub subtitle is turn your demons into creative rocket fuel. And I thought, Ooh, this is, this is something that grabs me. This is, you know, this is interesting. But, um, the guy who wrote it, uh, opens up about his own struggles with anxiety and depression. And it was, you know, his struggles kind of began to, during his sort of teenage years into his college years and stuff like that. So I related to it fairly strongly. But what the idea, the concept in the book really is to actually tap into those feelings that you have, however they manifest themselves. Um, and he, one of the techniques is to turn them into a character in your head. So, you know, e each one might have a different color. It has a different, you know, they're dressed up differently and all that kind of stuff. Like those, those elements of your personality and they're elements of your personality. And he talks about them like that. It's not like this thing that's wrong with you that you need to get rid of, you know what I mean? Or you need to, you know, manage it out and be happy all the time. Like he, he was the first person I ever read you know, whoever wrote about, and that I I had access to, um, whoever wrote about it in such a kind of empowering way, just like you know what, this is part of you, and it's a part of you that's nine chances out of ten not going to go away, right? So why don't you do something with it? Why don't you make it something that is rather than being, a, you know, a detriment to your personality or viewing it that way, thinking about it that way, turn it into something that can be part of your strength and part of your, you know, the way that you interact with the world that can be really powerful. So I was like, and that sounds a little bit kind of like airy fairy. And he actually kind of talks about it that way. He's like, seriously, guys, stick with me because this is, you know, <laughs> um, but it's, and I recommend it to anybody who struggles with either anxiety or depression or a mix of those or any other things you might label as a demon. Um, because I think part of part of the um, 
part of what makes struggling with those things difficult as well is the way that we talk about them. Because I think we are also uh, we are also in living in a time and a place society where we're obsessed with everyone being happy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and get, I think and, and and getting recognized that you're being happy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, like all the like workout stuff and people posting stuff, all this. The, oh, you know, like to, you know, I'm dressed up, ready to go out somewhere, and you know, some people do that, and it's not common or not as often, and that's fine. That's just saying, hey, yeah. you know, they're interacting. But then there's just some people. I'm like, look, I have a dress. It looks pretty on, yeah. and they're just waiting for responses. That's all they're doing. Right. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they wound up and they threw their fishing pole into the pond, and they're just yeah. waiting for everything to come to the surface. Waiting for yeah, and, and it's help uh, anybody. No, it really, and it actually doesn't even help them. To be fair, the people no, doing it, it makes it worse because it makes it worse because I think I think it, which makes it even worse. a lot of a lot of the, uh, a lot of the people that you see doing that habitual level of that sort of posting and you know putting on this facade of oh my life is great and oh I'm great and oh you know that sort of thing I'm all for people celebrating their successes I I don't want to say that I'm not I think that that's really important to do and I do some of it myself and it actually for me it helps right in those moments of acknowledging yes I've had a success or had a good moment or whatever and that's really good but I think there's you know we are with the social media thing and you know Facebook and Twitter and Instagram particularly they say is actually can be you know if it, if it gets too out of control um, really bad for your psyche just in general yeah. um, but I, I you know cycling cycling back to um, the way that the way that we talk about <clears throat> you know we you know Jamie Cato who's the guy who wrote this book calls it you know, demons, but whoever, however you want to characterize it, and those things that are, you know, sad or angry or distraught or, um, and we think about those things as bad, you know, Both like yeah. just on, on balance, that's, you know, people think, oh no, you don't want to be sad, right? And one of the things that it, it's difficult as an adult to do that but it's also difficult uh, growing up with the idea that that part of you because it's part of you that part of you is somehow something you need to like cut out you know and is you know it's it's not a it's not an attractive thing to have that that thing that you struggle with that sadness that whatever it is and um and that i find really hard and I think for him, for me reading that and actually getting to a place where I could go hey you know what that part of me that sadness or that you know um, you know how, however your depression kind of manifests itself and feels and that sort of thing you can take that and make it into something that isn't something that you just carry around you know it's something that you can't, like, it helps you see things that other people can't see. It helps you understand things that other people don't understand. And framing it that way, for me, made me feel so much better. It made me feel like I, you know, that part of me wasn't wrong anymore. 
and because as I said earlier, you know, I was because I grew up as such a generally happy kid and, you know, like happy-go-lucky sort of like big smiles and fairly outgoing and animated. You can see my hands flying everywhere here, you know, that sort of thing. Having that sadness is like antithetical to that in people's brains. And in my own brain, it became antithetical to that. So that for me, and when I have those moments thinking about, you know, my sadness or my depression or my anxiety, even, you know, it's to think about it like it's something that you can use or something that is a powerful thing. That is the most powerful management technique that I've ever come across. Mm-hmm. Because it, in that moment, if you can control your thought enough, like if you start to think, oh my God, like this is really bad or I feel really terrible or, you know, like your heart starts to kind of hurt and you get that feeling in your chest and stuff like that because that happens to me. I get this kind of like heaviness in my chest. You start to feel that and you're just like, oh no, you know, that that's coming again. But if you can if you can get to a point where you can feel it coming and go, okay, all right, I'm going to accept part of this and that that, that feeling is happening, but I'm also going to turn it into something better. So that's, I write. I, you know, make something of it. I, you know, I talk through it. I, you know, I, I get, get it out some way. And I think that so many... So many people can probably identify with that, being artists or whatever and that sort of thing. And that's a good management technique as well, to get it out onto paper or on a screen or, you know, in some productive way. And it, it flows through you. Like, you get it in and it comes through you. And yes, you have that moment and, you, you know, or it's longer than a moment sometimes and that sort of thing. You have that kind of like that intensity, but then it actually flows out of you. You know, uh, and I think that that's those two things go together. Like that's a powerful thing that you can you. It's possible that you can feel that feeling, and it will come through you and come out and make something that is probably beautiful. Without a doubt. Yeah. I randomly had a thought where either Pixar or I don't know some sort of animated situation should make like little. No, I, we don't. I don't know if they they have many. You get these little short clips to try to talk about certain things. Uh, you remember the? I don't remember his name, but the the robot that we used to have in Canada mm-hmm. television. It was like, I yep. can put my arm back on. You can't. You know, be careful. I can't remember his name. So take. Oh yeah, concept, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Take that idea and have this person, probably in you know a, a standard home or a house or doing something important with things around them and then just have little demons run around and just having him manage those demons <laughs> and just, you know and then using or then and then maybe using them to help him finish the stuff up I don't know. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Go in my head. no no that's that's totally like physically like if you were to picture it that's basically yeah. what it is and then like that, that might be easier for people to understand yes so, yes anybody yeah. listening to this who has pixar's ear Make that. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go from the fun, saddening uh, realization stuff to 
more interesting and maybe managing stuff. So, uh, it's called Melancholy Geek, so let's get to the geek part. What does geek mean to you? Let's get to the geek part, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What does geek mean to me? Um, Well, lots of things, really. Um, I am, I kind of categorize myself as uh, a dabbling geek. I dabble in many geekdoms, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, you know, some people will more strongly identify with thing that kind of makes them geeky. Uh, but I, I do a little bit of a lot of things, I think. Um, but the first thing that really, I suppose, I geek out about and that I love to geek out about is words. I'm just a word nerd. Um, and that means I'm a book person. I'm a bookworm. I love to read. Um, and I love language and how language goes together and all that kind of stuff. So I do actually like, you get, you get me talking about that, I might not stop. So we won't, <laughs> we'll go too far into that. Um yeah, um, but I think I think that um, let's see what else. Board games. Mm. I'm a board game geek. Absolutely love board games. Um, and I, to be fair, you know what? I, I haven't played enough recently. I just love like getting into that feeling of like, okay, we're sitting around and this is fun. I'm going to beat you, and it's going to be awesome. And it's just such such a fun experience to do that with other people, especially people who are all into it at, at the same level. Yeah. I remember uh, remember the first time I ever played, played Settlers of Catan, which is, you know, I don't know if you... <laughs> suck at it. And I sucked at it, too. I was, I was terrified. I was really bad at it. Um, but it was really, really fun because everybody got so into it at the time. It was like, yes, this is hilarious. Now, um, uh, yeah, other games as well. Um, actually, last last night I had the uh, uh, weird kind of throwback geek gaming experience of playing Mario Kart 64 for the first time in about 15 years. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I was just like, this is really kind of wow. That game, by the way, came out in 1996. Um, that's quite old, and it makes me feel old now. <laughs> but I, I do like I do I do like that kind of stuff, um, and that kind of gaming geeks. Like, it's not like your tip. Well, my half um, likes to play like very intense level of gaming. Like, he's a, he's a gamer geek, absolutely. Um, but, um, but me, I'm, you know, Tetris. I like Tetris. And, like, puzzle games and stuff like that. I'm, like, that kind of gamer geek. Um, and then, I suppose, I kind of roll my eyes at this, because I, I, I don't know, it seems, to, it seems to be part of the course now, but I'm definitely a bit of a superhero geek as well. Um, meaning, you know, yeah, it is, and they're just like, I love, well, I'm a, I'm a very visual person, so I like, um, well, audio visual, really, like, like sound and, and visuals, and I did that in school and in university, and, um, and so I really appreciate 
as well, the level of work that goes into that. So I'm a bit of a film geek in that way because um, I love going to see those big, huge superhero films, you know, like, well, I haven't seen Infinity War yet, which is terrible. I know. I'm like, oh, my God, why have I not seen this yet? Like, no. Anyway, you actually made something that I thought was an obvious reference to Infinity War earlier. Oh, really? <laughs> and maybe you'll think about it after no. you see it. Uh, maybe I will. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, like that level of the detail and intensity and, and, and the graphics involved and stuff like that. But like, I totally geek out about that. If you start talking to me about... Um, about the um, like all of the planning for that kind of stuff and the and the storyboards and the picture you know all that kind of stuff and the level of you know CGI that has to go into it. I love talking about that and why the visuals were done this way and how it was done. Whoa! Um, so it's a two tier geeking thing for me. Those that particularly the films. Um, I love the stories of the characters and that sort of thing as well. And, um, and you know, everyone loves a good story and story geek. You know, that sort of thing goes back to my bookwormy things. But that, I think, is my, that is my main geeky, geeky thing. I just love those, the films and the small details as well as the big booms. You know, like the big, like, huge things. Because I think that they, I'm talking specifically Marvel, let's be frank about that, but um, they do have a way of paying attention to the smaller details so well, I think. Well, there was calls. And I appreciate that. There were calls from, if you look through the Marvel movies, uh, the cinematic universes, Mm. there, there are calls from, right from the beginning, to future movies. Right? Yeah. There was a call to yeah. Captain America in the first movie, right, and in mm. Iron Man that I even missed, and I own I, oh, I, I own the collector's editions of these movies. Yeah, yeah. Which nobody owned because for some reason they made them so hard <laughs> to get. But um, yeah. But I appreciate them so much that that I take the time to to own them and get those collector's editions because they're so over the top and amazing. Uh, what else do I have? Uh, skipping that question, you pretty much covered it. Um, what is the earliest memory that you have that you can associate with being a geek? With being a geek? Um, oh, dear. That's a good question. Fairly early. Um, at back, back in the days when I considered, when, well, I suppose... I was young enough that people were still saying geek as a bad thing. You know what I mean? Like, you, that, you're like, you're such a geek! That like, that's <laughs> <laughs> Like, you're such a geek! I'm like, I, I, I think I probably got nerd more than geek. Um, though, and, and technically, they kind of, they sit in the same way, but they're not quite the same thing. No. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was... I would say probably like grade three, four, maybe. Like I was less than 10 years old, I would think, when I first sort of, I started to identify and also other people started to identify me as a geek. 
<clears throat> and I was kind of outside the box and thought that, you know, some, like, particular story. I, I really like books. I really liked. Um, I wasn't, you know, the stereotypical thing is to say you're some kind of a, you're, you're a geek. Somehow you get labeled with the sci-fi geek thing. You know, there's still yeah. that. You know, I, I wasn't particularly, though I do remember actually reading some sci-fi around it when I was like 12, 13 and really enjoying it. But that wasn't, you know, um, it was more when I was, I think, I, I think I just got really excited about things. I think that's what being a geek is, you know, like when, when you, when you feel like you get really into something, like I was really into, well, some of it was film. I remember, um, writing a book report uh, this is this is definitely yes. This is the moment. Okay, we've re- we've reached the moment now. Um, uh, when I was in grade two, um, and it was around the time that uh, do you remember Home Alone two when that came out on on in cinemas and stuff like that? It was ages ago. Not necessarily related to being a geeky thing, but at the same time, this is my geek moment. Um, I saw the film in cinema. Um, and loved it. I thought it was great. And then I got the book, like the, you know, the book version of the film, which is like something that you do when you're that age. And I read that, and I read like, it was always great. And then um, my teacher asked me to write about, you know, write a book report. And I wrote a book report on this book. And I wrote like a load. I can't remember how many pages it was, but I was in grade two, right? So my grade two teacher was Mrs. Bailey, who I loved. Um, she she didn't expect any of us to write very much for this book report, but I wrote like probably like five pages or something like that, which for someone who was seven was kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah, and probably four and a half pages more than everybody else. It, well, exactly. That people didn't really like. They may have written a page or maybe a page and a half, depending on how big their handwriting actually was at the time. Yes. And yeah, like you know, when you're seven. Your your handwriting tends to get a little bit big and squirrely and everything because you're still learning how to write properly. And 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 I did mine in cursive as well. I was starting to learn cursive at that point. And so, um, me being. A, you know, a, a, I loved reading anyway. And on top of that, I got so into this particular report that I think that was a moment when I was like, people started to call me a geek, I think, at that point. Like, that that point, I really feel like, okay, I'm a geek because I, you know, I got so into that that that, that was a geeky thing. But I think that's what geeks do. I think that's what a geek is. That's what I feel like when I geek out about something, and it's a really positive thing now. I don't think about it as a bad thing at all. No. Um, I think it's a great thing. I love, I love it when I find a geek because I'm like, what, what do you geek out about? Like, you can geek out about anything. People, people think that, oh yeah, you know, there's standard sorts of geeks, but no, you can geek well, yeah. out about whatever think, the hell, you know. No, without question. So, I think the geeks like me and you, where we have a pretty mm. focused type of thing, where it's either uh, story or video games and stuff like that. That's more of geek as a noun. Mm. But if you take geek as a verb, 
could be anybody, right? Could be someone like, loves cars. Yeah. They're geeking out on their car, right? Or yeah. sports, you know, any of it. Yeah, and you get and and, and I think it's it is naturally associated. The, the word I feel like has historically been associated with a level of intelligence as well. Like the people who got called geeks were also pretty smart, you know. Yeah. I think mm. I was thinking about that right now, but to some degree, I think that maybe the, the the different terms that were used back then, the geek was more, "Hey, you're interested in these weird things." At the time, weird. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe nerd was more in the sense where you you had more of that interested in something similarly but was more on the intelligent side yeah I think yeah, I yeah fair enough the, yeah, the yeah weird words that people threw out in, in back then and it's like anything like they they may have a meaning at the time to um uh, i'm really tempted to see the real source of that word maybe i will one day um yeah but it's just like the it's a thing where people use that word and, you know, I've had the same situation where, you know, I got interested in different types of things and computers and technology pretty early. And then I, you know, uh, they tried to push detriment on it by calling, you know, calling me those names and, and whatnot. And, you know, I, I felt bad about it at the time, but now I embrace it. That's who I am. Yeah. That's what I do. Clearly, it, well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Totally right there with you. <laughs> Alrighty. So, um, like I said, that went into the next question. Because, mm. you know, that, that's the other thing, interesting thing about geekdom is how it's evolved into being mainstream. And. Yeah. No one really knows how that happened. No. Outside of, I think no. it's the geeks grew up and started having children of their own, so it just became normal, maybe. They just be, yeah. Uh, well, I think I think there's a generational thing. I also think that the people who I think it's tied into geeks and geekdom generally. Um, also, being people are just excited about stuff. Yes. You know, like it. You know, you are a geek. You are geeking out about something. You're excited about it. And I think that that's what it's become more of now. It's just it's like people talk about it as if it's not a derogatory sort of sort of insult anymore like it was when we were kids in some respects. You know, like it's, it's more like, yeah, I'm acknowledging that you're excited about that thing and that's cool. Yeah. You know, so I think the definition of it has changed, which is has made it a bit more mainstream. Yeah. And that's, mm. that's like anything. Words are... Words are words. It just depends on like their meaning. Usually, doesn't change. It's just how how they're used, what the context yeah. is, what what the inflections are when that person uses it. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, and it has gone through. For, well, for us, it's we've taken it. It's ours. Yeah. Right. And yeah. It's it's a word that that's not the same context, but that kind of thing has happened before. Yeah, definitely. Alrighty, that's fun. So. I mentioned this before, so this is this is the thing I started doing, and, and I, I I knew the quirk that I was going to use for you. It's just mm. it's just a thing, and uh, yep. my apologies to your uh, to your other half on this one, but so this is <laughs> this is just a, a thought experiment, so to speak. Okay. So which of these three things, if you had to choose one of them, would you choose? Okay. 
First, uh, watching your favorite movie. Okay. It's Doug Ray Scott. Okay, yep, all right. Mm-hmm. Dancing a live performance of your favorite song mm-hmm. with Doug Ray Scott. <laughs> or writing the biography of Doug Ray Scott. Okay. It's hilarious that you've asked me that. <laughs> um, good question, actually. Uh, I probably would have answered this differently if you'd asked me about 15 years ago. Um, yeah, I know, but that's also why I yeah. remember this. No, I know. Um, I think... I think I'd probably go for the last one. I didn't feel any one. Yeah, because I think that, well... I think that the work that would have to go into that would be really fun. Really. Like it's you would have to take the time to interact with him. Yeah. Everyone around him. Well indeed. And get to get to know get to know him situation stories and stuff like that. I find people's stories fascinating, just in general. I think, you know, it's probably another level of my geekdom, if you want to say that. But sure. uh, I I love talking to people and finding out about their experiences and stuff like that. So I think that would be, yeah, I think that would be a really fun experience. I think it would be great. Um, and you find out so many things you don't think you're going to find out when you start digging, you know. Oh, yeah. So, and I think that's actually sort of what we've been doing here in this conversation as well, sort of like you find out things about people you didn't know and, you know, you open up and, and that brings some great stuff out. So, yeah, absolutely. That's what I'd do. Great. Mm. Well, this was fun. Mm. It's like, what, <laughs> let me do the math. Do the math. Uh, almost eight? Or is, yeah. No, it's after yeah, eight. Yeah, just, just after eight. Uh, eight minutes after eight, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm so used to going backwards with the yeah. time. So. Mm. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm. Thank you very much, Sarah, for taking the time to find a get home and be in the future and, and chat about stuff. Because I know it's it's not as easy as it as people think it would be to talk about this stuff. No, and, you know, it's, it's, it's hard enough to talk to a professional in a closed. Uh, environment, let alone, you know, to, to someone, um, you know, you know, but then to mm. someone you know who's going to take this whole conversation and put it online. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I appreciate that you, uh, you did this. And, um, well, thank you. Thank you for asking me. I mean, I, you know, I think it's, it's something that I feel good having done. You know, it's nice to talk about these things in the way that you get the chance to um, to hear someone else's perspective, to you know, to hear your perspective, with share things and that sort of thing. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. It's my pleasure, and, and this, mm. that's why I've been doing this is trying to get other people's perspective because that's that, that's the that's the thing about um, mental illness in general is there's always something different from one person to the next. Even though you know both of us have a form of depression, like yeah, we we have our own you know our own situations on top of that. Yeah. All right, so that's another fun episode. Um, Folks, 
Uh, still no one reaching out. That's fine. I'm not that popular yet. Um, but if you are and do, I'm on the Twitter, Melancholy underscore Geek. Uh, Facebook, you can get straight to the page at MelancholyGeek.com. And if you so desire, you want to join me, have your own discussion, or something maybe even read on air, uh, just send me a message, mail at MelancholyGeek.com. Other than that, uh, yeah, another month, another episode. I've been consistent. This is crazy. Oh, my God. Uh, thanks again, Sarah. Everybody. Thank you. And, uh, until next time.